0: Please pray with me. Father God in heaven, please open our ears to your word. Please open our minds to your ways. Please tune our hearts to your heart. Father, help us hear this message of love and hope. Give us a heart to believe and a will to obey. We thank you for Jesus, the one who died for our sins. You raised from the dead. May everything about us in these next few minutes be focused on his love and on his sovereign rule. Amen. This is the 39th Easter message I've delivered. I never dreamed I would be preaching an Easter message in an empty auditorium to be viewed by worshipers online. But then again, you probably never thought you would be one of those Easter online worshipers. COVID-19 has set the stage for most everything we do. They say the number of cases will peak soon if it hasn't already. But what will that mean for our future? In the last few weeks, I've noticed the following headlines in various online publications. Foxnews.com Mark Cuban says coronavirus changes everything. CNN.com U.S. election 2020 coronavirus changes everything. Politico.com Coronavirus will change the world permanently. The Wall Street Journal.com How the coronavirus changed everything. Foreignpolicy.com The coronavirus pandemic will change the world forever forbes.com coronavirus changes everything five strategies to help latimes.com coronavirus and the week that changed everything i don't think it will change everything but i do have questions about what it will change and what the future holds how long will this last Will someone I know and love get sick and die? Will my family be okay? Will I get sick? Will someone I know lose a job? Will my friends lose a business? Will my investment accounts and retirement accounts ever recover? Will large events like sporting events and concerts and worship gatherings return? Will we sink into a global recession like never before? Yes, COVID nineteen has rearranged our lives. Words like canceled, postponed, until further notice, limited service, closed, drive-through only, curbside pickup, carry-out, delivery delayed, limit two per customer, out of stock, backordered, no longer available—they've all infiltrated our vocabulary like springtime pollen in a Georgia pine forest. You know, I remember the first time. I visited a patient in the hospital with a disease that required me to put on a mask and gown and gloves. A church member was a nurse many years ago. She called asking if I would come visit a patient of hers. He was out of town, he was sick, he had no family or friends nearby, and he was sick with a disease that was not very well known at the time, and most people who had this disease were completely shunned. I showed up at the hospital, They gave me a gown, a mask, and gloves, and I entered the room. I felt like everything about me shouted, I don't want to be here. Don't breathe on me. Don't touch me. I'll pray and be gone. Well, I tried my very best to communicate love and acceptance, but the whole experience was awkward. Well you know today hospital visitation and nursing home visitation isn't just awkward it's pretty much impossible Andy Deaton is a member of our church his wife is recovering from surgery he's 80 years old the doctors and nurses said you must go home you can't stay with your wife he's having to to call and check on her daily by phone because he's not allowed to be in the hospital it's not just awkward it's A tough season for those who are in the hospital alone. Has COVID-19 changed everything? Well, I still get hungry and I like to eat. I still enjoy playing games with my family. I still enjoy studying God's word so I can teach and preach. And there's a very good chance that I will enjoy once again some of the things that I'm missing right now. But today I want to tell you about something that changed everything for all of eternity. Listen as I read John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. And she said, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she'd said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned. And said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced it to the disciples I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them peace be with you when he had said this he showed them his hands and his side and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord and Jesus said to them again peace be with you as the father has sent me even so I am sending you and when he said this he breathed on them and said to them receive the Holy Spirit it's the resurrection story told in the gospel of John let me give you the backstory. God created the heavens and the earth they were perfectly created to sustain us and in that perfect creation he created Adam and Eve in his own image he breathed his life into them and he gave them a great purpose to be fruitful to multiply to subdue the earth to fill the earth and to rule over the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the animals that walk on the earth And God placed us in that garden that had everything we needed for life and for satisfaction. And he gave us boundaries to keep us safe within his good and perfect will. Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan to eat the forbidden fruit. And they ate. They sinned. They disobeyed God, and the consequence was the perfect world God created for us was now broken. Relationships were fractured. Childbirth brought pain, not only in delivery for mom, but in parenting for mom and dad. Work was cursed. The beautiful Garden of Eden was locked down tighter than a movie theater in quarantine. And death was ushered into the world. Shame on Adam and Eve, you say. But then you look at your own life and you understand what the apostle meant when he said, I know what I want to do and should do and don't do it. And I know what I should not do and I do it. During this quarantine period, our daughter Kinsey decided to, to help us fight temptation she put a sticky note on the fridge that said do i need this she put a, another note on the pantry that said do i need this well trying to be funny i added below that absolutely too, perhaps but you know the temptation to eat more than i need is real it's not funny and i'm not necessarily winning the battle but this is easter and i have good news although i agree with mercy me it's not good news it's the best news ever the best news ever is this jesus the perfect son of god died on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin and mine for those who cry out to god and call on the name of jesus after the crucifixion jesus was buried a stone was rolled over the grave they even put guards at his tomb because there was a rumor of his impending resurrection but despite the guards despite the stone despite three days in the grave Jesus rose and his resurrection changes everything absolutely everything first let me tell you about Peter and a loud rooster John chapter 18 verse 27 reads Peter then denied it again and immediately a rooster crowed Let me tell you about Peter. Some of you will see yourself in his story. Peter sinned dramatically. One preacher said that after he did what he did, the story should have ended right there. He wasn't just a follower of Jesus. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. What did he do? Well, in the very worst week of Jesus' life, Peter denied he knew Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. A woman called out, and said aren't you one of the disciples and he said woman I don't know him a a man pointed him out as one of the disciples and he said I am not and to another who made the same association Peter said man I don't know him Jesus had predicted the three denials He, he told Peter that Satan wanted to sift him like wheat. He also told Peter, but I have prayed for you. And when you turn back to me, I want you to strengthen your brothers. Peter wasn't listening very well. All he heard was the denial. And he said, no way. And Jesus replied, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Can you imagine how you would feel if you were Peter? remember he doesn't understand the resurrection yet all he knows is that he told jesus i will never deny you jesus said oh yes you will and you'll do it three times and then the rooster will crow so when the rooster crows right after the third denial peter is feeling all the weight of guilt and all the weight of shame on his life guilt is heavy shame it's a heavy burden to carry asking forgiveness for something we've done wrong is also hard but then it gets worse jesus dies so now peter can't ask him for forgiveness jesus is not there to apologize to even if he could muster up the courage and find the humility well let me ask you this have you heard any loud roosters in your life lately this is what i'm talking about have you ever sworn you would never do something have you ever made a commitment you thought was rock solid and you won't break it have you ever traveled a path you knew was stupid well let me get specific have you said something to your child totally out of anger and frustration with no regard to that child's fragility and immaturity Children act like children because they are immature. And God put you in life to help them grow into maturity, not to tear them apart. So you snapped, you yelled, and they cried like a rooster. Jesus wants to talk to you this Easter. Guys, girls, have you broken a vow? Totally out of selfishness? With no regard to a promise you made? Oh, she looked sweet no one will ever know. Marriage is hard. Don't I deserve some fun? It's been tough. So you flirted in a text, Snapchat on phone, and your next move? Well, the only reason you haven't made a next move is the shelter-in-place order right now. Perhaps that's one of the silver linings of COVID-19. Jesus is protecting you from taking that next step, and he wants to talk to you this Easter morning. Let me ask you this. Have you cheated to get ahead, lied to sidestep accountability, taken a shortcut to save your own cut of the bonus? Is your heart eaten up with envy, loaded with love, biggie-sized with gluttony, aggravated with anger, jostled by jealousy, laden with laziness, and puffed up with pride? Is there a rock of guilt and shame the size of a giant rock crushing you this morning? I learned this week that there is a giant rock. It's named Pot of Noodle. It's in the Joshua Tree area of California. It was the largest freestanding boulder in the world, taking up uh, 5,800 square feet of ground space and reaching seven stories high. Recently, a, a piece of it broke off. But in fact, that giant rock is not as heavy as the weight of sin and shame and guilt you and I carry Paul talks about the weight of sin in Romans chapter 6 and when he quantified the weight of sin he equaled it to death for the wage of sin equals death Jesus nicknamed Peter Rocky and even though Peter was one tough dude the weight of denying Jesus was crushing him are you feeling crushed today by the weight of your own sin the resurrection changes everything so let me tell you about Peter and a solid rock in John chapter 20 verse 1 it says she saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb In the middle of his hopeless situation, Peter gets some interesting news. The stone is rolled away. The tomb is empty. Peter, along with the disciples, run to the tomb. John's more excited, so he gets there first, but he's not as bold, and he hesitates to go into the tomb. Peter gets there, and his bold nature takes him right in, and he sees the grave clothes lying on the ground, and he notices the grave head wrap nicely folded by itself. The scripture tells us that when John saw all of this, he believed. It doesn't tell us what's going on in Peter's mind, but you can imagine, can't you? If Jesus is alive, can he ever forgive me? The tombstone has been rolled away, but now Peter has to deal with the full weight of guilt and the weight of that shame stone on his life. So what does he do? He goes home. John 20 verse 10 says all of the disciples went home he goes back to the only thing he knew before Jesus he jumps into his boat and goes fishing you know if you're a fisherman you have two homes a land home and your boat if you're a businessman or a woman you have the home and your office if you're a teacher you have home and a classroom if you're a coach a home and a gym a salesman home and the road farmers a home and a barn the mechanic a home In a shop, you know, under the pressure of guilt in our life, many of us retreat to not our home, but our office or the gym uh, or the boat or the road. And we try to to get away from that feeling of, of, of shame and out from under that pressure of guilt. But, you know, sheltering at home makes our office and our home office one in the same. Perhaps this season of sheltering at home is God's way to help you feel the full weight of sin so you'll be motivated to deal with it. No running away, no hitting the road, no escape to the theater, no rest at the local bar and grill, no losing yourself in a crowd uh, 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 in a stadium, cheering on your favorite team. Why? Because Jesus has forced us to stay home so that we can deal with that rock of guilt on our life. And he wants to lift it off your shoulders. He wants to change your heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He wants to make that dead heart beat again, free from the pressure of guilt and shame. You know, when Peter got to the tomb, the tombstone was rolled away. Jesus was alive But that stone of guilt was overwhelming. So he did what he knew, go fishing, trying to escape what he knew, his sin. But Jesus shows up as he's shown up today in your home. You know, even if you don't know this part of the story, you probably know what happens it's a fisherman's worst nightmare they have fished all night and they've caught nothing zero zilch zip nada diddly squat and then he shows up but they don't know who it is at first Jesus is watching from the shore and he says hey kiddos caught anything yet now I don't know about you but as a grown man Doing the work that I've been trained to do, when I go through periods where I don't feel very successful, the last thing I want is some hot shot calling me a kiddo and questioning my manhood. The King James Version and the NIV tell us that Jesus called them children. That's an accurate translation. But I don't think Jesus was making fun of them. He was trying to communicate clearly. He was pointing out, that they weren't having any more luck than a kid with a Zebco 33 when the situation called for a king-sized net when they had the sovereign Lord who's Lord over the seas right at their side. Jesus said, cast your net on the right side as if he knew exactly where the fish were because he knows exactly where the fish are. He's sovereign over the fish of the sea. They had fished all night portside. And then starboard, and then deep, and then shallow. And now this guy comes and he says, Try the right side, and you will find some. He didn't say maybe, he said, You will find some. They try it, and boy, did they find some. So many fish, they couldn't pull the, the nets in. And John notices first, and he calls out to Peter, Peter, it's Jesus. Peter hears John and he realizes that he can probably get to the shore faster if he jumps in and swim. The boat's about uh, 100 yards from the shore, but the boat's struggling even to pull the net up to the boat. So the Bible tells us that Peter stripped down to what we don't know, but he grabs his outer garment, wraps it around his waist, jumps into the water, and he gets there before the disciples and the boat and the great haul of fish. Peter is about to discover a new reality because the resurrection changes everything so let me tell you about peter and this new reality john 21 verse 22 says as for you jesus is saying to peter follow me well the disciples eventually drag their net full of fish with the boat to the shore the net is full 153 but who's counting Well, they're fishermen. Believe me, they're counting. Miraculously, the net is not torn. Jesus already has a campfire going. He has some fish and bread on the fire, but he says, Bring me some of the fish you caught and let's have breakfast. Jesus gave them bread, Jesus gave them fish. This was the third time he had appeared to them, and they all knew it was Jesus. Now, Peter must have been thinking, This isn't what I expected. I expected a lecture but he provided lunch. I expected a berating, but he gave me bread. I thought I might get a fatherly scolding, but he gave me fresh seafood. Worst of all, I thought he might ignore me, but he singled me out. Right in front of all the other disciples, he looked at me and he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, William Barclay writes that Jesus could be referring of one of two things perhaps he was pointing to the fish and the nets and the boat and the sea and he said to Peter do you love me more than all of this your lifestyle or maybe Jesus just swept his hand to indicate the other disciples there and was saying Peter do you love me more than they love me Barclay reminds us of the scene when Peter basically said Jesus, these guys may deny you, but I never will. Was Jesus gently reminding Peter that he was the one who had denied him no less than three times? Peter answers Jesus, Lord, you know I love you. First of all, he called him Lord because he knows Jesus is Lord of the wind. He calms storms at sea. He's Lord of the catch, 153 to be exact. He's Lord of the grave. He rose on the third day. He's Lord of the day. His resurrection changes everything. Jesus gives him a very sensitive job. Feed my lambs. Now, lambs are young sheep. Immature, even more defenseless than full grown sheep. And Jesus charges Peter with the responsibility of taking care of those sweet, young, defenseless lambs who need nourishment. And then Jesus asks a second time, Do you love me? And Peter doesn't hesitate. Peter doesn't complain that he's already answered the question. Peter doesn't justify, qualify, or defend himself, but he does answer, Yes, Lord you know i love you he knows that jesus knows his heart just like he knew exactly that the fish were on the right side of the boat and jesus said to him peter shepherd my sheep well the sheep are representative of believers god-fearing believers jesus had already taught them that god had given him sheep believers and Jesus even referred to himself as the true shepherd and now he's passing that responsibility to Peter and he says take care of my sheep and then Jesus asked the third time do you love me Peter answers Lord you know everything you know I love you Well, the resurrection changes everything. Peter understands now that Jesus does know everything. He knows Peter's pride. I'll never desert you. I'm better than all these other disciples. I'll never fall away. No matter what happens, I would never deny you. Yes, Jesus knows that Peter is a prideful braggart. Peter also knows that Jesus knows he's a selfish coward. When a woman and then two men identify Peter as a disciple, he cowardly denies because he really isn't ready to drink from the cup that Jesus drank from when he died on the cross for our sins. Peter denies Jesus selfishly because he's not ready to trade his life, his reputation, his security for a man hanging on a cross. So Jesus knows. He knows everything. He knows our selfishness. He knows our fear. He knows our pride. He knows our laziness. He knows our gluttony. He knows our lust. He knows our reliance on false gods like the stock market or or athletic superstars or college hoop stars or political rock stars. And listen to this. The resurrection changes everything. Jesus knows. He knows it all. And he still loves you. So then he has a question for you. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him more than your lifestyle? Do you love him more than others watching online? Do you love him more than your favorite sin? But the bigger question might be, how do you really love Jesus? Well, first of all, we love nothing without the love of God. 1 John four nineteen tells us we love because he first loved us. The ability to love comes from God. Without God, we have no ability to love whatsoever. And God did love us so much he sent Jesus to us. So we now have the power to love Jesus. Second, Jesus is the only way to god the father john 14 6 tells us that jesus is the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through him you can't earn your way to god you can't buy your way to god you can't work your way to god you can't outwit or outsmart your way to god you can't get to god by being better than someone else you can't get to god because of your mother or father you can't get to god because you're marked safe and tested negative for COVID 19 jesus is the only way He took your sin, and He knows your sin. He took all your sin, and He died on the cross, pouring out His blood to cleanse you from that sin. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. He suffered, He bled, He died so you could be forgiven. Third, No one comes to Jesus unless the Father draws them to him. Jesus told us that, John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. God loves you. God sent Jesus. He's his one and only son. He sent him to die on the cross for you. And God is the one who draws you to Jesus so you can ask for his forgiveness. God is the one that takes your heart of stone, your dead heart, and makes it beat again. The resurrection. Changes everything. It shows us the power of God over sin. It shows us the power of God over death. It shows us the power of God over the grave. The resurrection really does change everything. It shows us God's love in his death. It shows us God's love in his forgiveness. It shows us God's love and reaching out to us when we were dead in our sin and could do nothing for our salvation. The resurrection changes everything. So I encourage you, I urge you today, right there at home watching, call on Jesus today, ask God to forgive you today, trust God's love and Jesus' resurrection by repenting of your sin. Will you pray with me? Father God, creator, sustainer, provider, healer, redeemer, you are the miracle worker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness, my God. That is who you are. May your kingdom come to my life and my world today. I acknowledge you as sovereign Lord, master, king of the creation, and as sovereign Lord, master, and king of my life. Give me today, please, what I need today to live for you today. And Father, help me forgive those who sin against me just as you have forgiven me. Give me a heart of forgiveness so I might be ready to receive your forgiveness. Guide me, Father, in the path of righteousness for your sake and for your glory that the world may see the richness of your mercy that is new every day and the fullness of your grace, grace upon grace as I need it every day. Father, remind me of your power, your strength, and and trust in that power to protect me from the evil one. You are the risen Lord, the Savior of all who call on your name. We worship you. We thank you for your forgiveness. We commit to follow you more fully today and in the days that follow. Father, for everyone today who hasn't cried out to you, touch their heart. Convict them of your love, of their sin, of their need for you and you alone. In the name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, we pray, trust, and hope. Amen this easter every one of us myself and everyone watching has a next step god wants us to take for some that next step is to trust in jesus christ as your lord and savior to ask his forgiveness to begin that relationship right now below the screen you'll see a connect card button if you'll click on that You can fill it out and check that you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And one of the ministerial staff will give you a call and help you navigate those next steps. For some, that next step is to be baptized. We don't know when we'll be able to do that again, but we will. God will provide, and uh, we want you to be ready for that. For some... It may be to join our church. Your next step is to become a member of First Baptist. We welcome you with open arms. We'd love to partner with you in taking this good news, this best news ever to the entire world. For some, your next step is joining a connect group, being a part of a Bible study. And I know we can't meet on the campus right now, but we have connect groups studying God's word via Zoom call. And we'd love for you to be a part of one of those. Maybe your next step, is making a commitment to live missionally even during this season of sheltering in place. And we have resources online, on the webpage, for you to to check how you can live a life on mission even during this season. I pray that you will take seriously these next steps in your life. I ask that you talk about these with your family right now. Mom, Dad, lead that conversation. I encourage you to take that next step and we'll be praying for you. Happy Easter.